As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. All right, the NFL draft is less than two weeks away. We are getting you ready with the latest on what the Jets may, and maybe more importantly, what they should do in the draft. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Dunn. This is the Can't Wait Podcast. Thanks for uh, following us. Thanks for reviewing us. If you can do that on Apple, you can do that on Spotify now too. That's a new feature on Spotify. So give us a five-star review. Marissa's in a new location. I'm in a different location. Connor's still got the fish tank behind him, but we all got together here for, for the uh, maybe the draft preview. We may get one more of these in before the draft. We'll see. But Connor, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. No complaints. We've got the good weather back in Jersey, right? So I know you guys are making fun of me about golfing all the time, but I'm, I'm getting my last uh, my last few rounds of golf in here before obviously the draft comes. And, you know, that kind of becomes all encompassing over those next couple of days. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm having a good time. I know Marissa's getting ready for Las Vegas. She's going to be in the draft, which is going to be freaking awesome. I've never been there. Well, I think I will next not year's be, Vegas is on the on the I trip. will not be in the draft. Um, <laughs> I wish I had that athletic ability to be in the draft. But, yes, I will be in Vegas for um, the athletic football show. We'll be streaming live from Vegas on Thursday, Friday, and potentially Saturday as well. So um, you can check that out while the draft is going on. And then once it's over, you can – download the can't wait podcast or birds with friends or mm. head of the path <laughs> every show will have complete coverage of the draft so very excited and uh, can't wait to see who goes number one because it's pretty up in the air right now yeah, hey, I, I wish i had like more exciting things to say but really all i've done been doing is golfing like that's really all that's really, there's been no there's been no been no fun trips, no fun life events, nothing that's honestly popping in my head has just been like a lot of golf. Like just speaking playing, of, go- what, of golf, one more off topic athletic plug since Marissa just rattled off all of our podcasts. <laughs> um, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you should for if, if you didn't have enough reasons. Brendan Quinn wrote an article because he played Augusta. On Monday, did you read that, oh, Connor? Oh, did he cover? Did he cover? So he won the the. So he pl- he won the yeah. writers' pool. So he got to play Augusta on Monday. He yep. basically did a mailbag asking people to ask him about it, and but he turned it into this. It's a really great story. Um, worth your one dollar a month for sure, yeah. if there isn't enough other stuff. But yeah, awesome. He uh, 
he really makes you feel like you're you were kind of along for the ride with him. Really good story. So check that one out, um, along with all the great football coverage. Um, Marissa said she's excited to see who goes number one. We're also excited to see who goes number four. So let's jump right into it. Um, Connor, we'll start with the four. We'll go to the 10. We'll go through the rest of the draft, too. Dane Brugler has his full mock-out right now that goes through the entire seven rounds. We'll see who he thinks the Jets could walk away with. Uh, but at number four, it seems like it's more and more just everybody kind of leaning towards it's going to be Kayvon Thibodeau. It's going to be Kayvon yeah. Thibodeau. Um, so my question for you, I guess, is like, if he's there, is there anything that would cause the Jets to go a different direction? I mean, they can't draft him if he's not available. But if he's there at number four, what would cause the Jets to take anyone else? Or should we just kind of chalk him up as the the next Jets pass rusher right now? No. So, like, because here's the thing. And I was actually, uh, Dane and I, I was talking to Dane last night because I'm doing for uh, for Monday a report card on, like, you know, like, it's it's the, it's a, tra- sticking with the Masters theme. It's a tradition, it's a tradition unlike any other, which is yeah. like, Teams make their their picks right for the NFL draft. And before these guys even arrive at the facility for most of them, we sit there and we do like instant report cards on the NFL draft. And I was like, man, it's 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 the most ridiculous thing in the world because they're never accurate or very seldom are they accurate. And these um, general managers are, are painted as heroes or, or vilified based off of like the picks that they make where it's like, oh, this is an F pick. This is an A pick when really no one knows when they're making the selection. And, and then even more so, no one knows how these kids are ever going to turn out. I mean, I went back and I found one of my old ones uh, from 2017, the draft where the, the, the Jets took Jamal Adams and Marcus May and then came back with Chad Hansen and Ardarius Stewart. And I had like Ardarius Stewart being a B plus and Marcus May was a C minus because they had just taken a pit or just taken a safety. So honestly, it's it's so it's so silly with these things. But I, I was I was talking to Dane about the draft because I was like, you know, I'm going to I grade Joe Douglas. So, you know what? I'm going to grade you on like your mock draft that you pieced together here with the Jets. <laughs> so I was just kind of letting him know that it's coming. Um, but talking to him about it and going over the scenarios of, of what may or may not happen with those first four picks, it really is as open as I can remember um, where there's so much uncertainty there one through three, which then obviously dictates what the jets are going to be able to do at, or what they are going to do at number four. Um, and the, the reason that I say that is because there's a quarterback in this year's class. So, so in almost every single draft, generally, you know, that, Two, sometimes three, in in last case's thing, I think it was almost four guys in a row went quarterback, 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 right? There's always like at least the one or two that go top five. And this year, you might not have a quarterback taken before 10. You might not have a quarterback taken before 15. So it's all up in the air of who's going to go where. You know, I've, I know we had our, our beat writer mock or we were, we were doing a beat writer roundtable where Chris Burke, the guy who covers the Lions for us, was like, hey, Thibodeau's in the running at number one. I was like, wait, I thought Thibodeau was like a surefire guy to get to number four with the Jets. And then you look at, the, the Texans, right? I mean, the Texans could go Thibodeau. The Texans could also go Icky. There's like a million things that could go on with what the Texans do at number three. So the one thing that I will say is that I believe that the way that number four, based off of what I know, and like I said, I, I don't play scout. I never put the scout hat on. I sit there and I talk to people that do this for a living, and you pick up in the rumors and the rumblings, and you try to figure out what the Jets are going to do. In my opinion, I think it's one of two players that are going to be the number four pick. And this is you know, based off of talking to people that know Joe Douglas, talking to people that have a feeling of what Joe Douglas is going to do, and then also my own understanding of the Jets. I think it's really either going to be Icky, the tackle from NC State, or it's going to be Kayvon Thibodeau. I think those are the two options for the Jets at number four. And the reason why I say that is if KT is there, if Thibodeau is there, 
it likely means that Icky has gone. Like, Icky's off the board. If Icky's there, it means that Thibodeau is off the board. Because I think the Texans are the ones that hold that wild card, right? Because Walker and Hutchinson are probably going to be one and two. Because Walker's got, like, that immense upside. And Hutchinson's considered the... The more surefire, no question marks, just out of the, you know, just just a, a bona fide stud, like that kind of a thing where, you know, yeah, it might not be Chase Young, but you know you're going to get a guy that's just a really, really good football player. So I think Walker and, and, and Hutchinson are probably going to go one and two. Then three is where the wild card comes in. What are the Texans going to do? Are they going to go offensive linemen? Or are the Texans going to go defensive linemen? I know I was talking to Dane last night. He goes, what if the Texans just throw a total wild card in the mix and they go with like Kyle Hamilton or like, or like sauce Gardner. Like he was like, what if they go sauce Gardner at four or three? He goes, what do the jets do then at four? I was like, if they have to actually pick between icky and they have to pick between KT, like that whole bare knuckle fight that saw or that Salah yeah. was joking about at the owners meetings a couple weeks ago, that might actually happen. And, and I'll tell you guys this, like I've heard from multiple people now that Joe really likes icky that, 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 that is a player that he likes a lot. Like that's not that's something I've heard now from a couple of people. I've had it confirmed by a couple of people that the Jets really, really like this kid. They view him as a 10 to 12 year starter in the NFL. They view him as a guy who has the ability to play guard or tackle from day one. They think he's a top tier prospect and the unquestioned top offensive lineman in this year's draft. That's what the Jets believe. Obviously, you have the we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit, like the whole offensive tackle situation of, oh, but they're they're fine at tackle, which is total hogwash. But then you have Thibodeau. Right. And and I can tell you that, like the whole reports out there about how polarizing Thibodeau is. Those are all very, very accurate. Like that's not that's not um, fodder. That's not trying to tank this kid's stock. There are people that absolutely love this guy. And there are people that have legitimate concerns that his interests in what comes with being a football player is greater than actually being a football player. I've touched with people that have those concerns. I've touched with two people from two completely different teams who are in a position to pull the trigger on making draft picks that have no concerns whatsoever and said, yeah, I would not think twice about drafting him top five. You can have interest if you about his branding and stuff. I was told by somebody that that's just the today's athlete. That, that's today's athlete. That's not uncommon. Guys have interests outside of football. The, the way that football has built the way that football has developed the way that football has gone from basically becoming such an entertainment business that guys realize that there is life outside of football but when it comes to Thibodeau he still loves ball this is not something where it's a guy who loves what comes with ball I had one guy told me one coach tell me like he loves football it is his passion he loves it there are no concerns whatsoever with that he just needs to make sure that he is always in line with like football comes first and he goes I have no concerns whatsoever with that being the case in my opinion, if it's Icky or it's KT, KT should be the pick. Like, I genuinely believe that KD should be the pick. He would be the, the the perfect addition to this defensive line. It would take the Jets so much closer to recreating the San Francisco front out on the west on the east coast. I think he would be the pick. I think he should be the pick. The only way I think they go Icky is if KT's off the board. Genuinely. I think if Icky's there and KT's not, they're going to go Icky. If KT or if Icky's there and KT, you know, it's, it's that kind of a situation. So, in my opinion, this where we about two weeks before the NFL draft right now. I think that it's those two guys. I think it's either going to be Thibodeau at defensive end, or I think it's going to be Icky, the offensive lineman. I don't think the Jets can go wrong with either one of them. Obviously, I know some fans are going to feel differently because they're going to go all up in arms about the thought of taking a tackle. So that the it's almost easy, right, at number four. Like, the guy that's there, you take. That's fine. So 10 becomes much more interesting. And you mentioned Sauce. You mentioned Ahmad Gardner. So when you get to number 10, there's been more talk lately about Jamison Williams. Like, 
is maybe he going to be healthy enough to be a factor as a rookie? He was clearly the best receiver available until the injury for Alabama back in January, but it's a big injury and it was January. It wasn't like it was September. So Mm -hmm. it just moves the timeline a lot, especially for a Jets team who needs really help, a lot of help there at the wide receiver position. So at number 10, um, I'll point that I'll say they 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 probably don't go with Williams because of the injury. Just just the thought. You can weigh in on that too, Connor. But like if they get to 10 and Garrett Wilson's there and Sauce is there, he slips a little bit. Like a lot of people think he'll be gone by then. But if he's there, who do you think they go with at 10 between cornerback and receiver? Yeah, that's the thing, man. It's like so the the corner, the corner debate, like I, I see people like sauce at four, sauce at four. I don't think people totally – now, if Sauce is there at 10, I think that maybe changes. I don't think he's going to be there at 10. I think he's going to be off right. the board. I, I don't I don't know if he's going to get past the Giants who are picking at like 7 or 8 or something like that. I think that – from what I've heard, the Giants really like him. So, I think the Giants are going to go offensive lineman corner and Sauce is gone before that. I mean, hell, like talking to – you know, maybe Sauce goes three. Like who knows what's going to happen there. But um, the the perceived issue the, – the, there's this like public perception of two issues with the Jets. And and one of them is linebacker and one of them is cornerback. And there's like this dire need or dire belief that the Jets need linebackers and the Jets need cornerbacks, right? From a cornerback perspective, which I'll touch upon first, the Robert Sala's defenses do not require lockdown Jalen Ramsey-type cornerbacks on the outside. They don't. He believes that the defensive scheme that he has built is run and dominated by a ferocious defensive front. When you have guys like in San Francisco, there's DeForest Buckner, there's Bosa, there's Ford, there's there's Eric Armstead. You basically have a, a, a six-man rotation led by two aces at the top that can just disrupt and make a quarterback's life absolutely miserable. And once you have that defensive front, that dominant defensive front, you pair it with rangy safeties back deep. Rangy, two free safeties, single high safety center fielders. You have the dominant front. You have the rangy safeties. Once you have those two things, those two, and invest all of your resources in those two positions, you can get by with number two guys at corner, not number one guys. That's what the Jets believe DJ Reed is. They believe he is a very, very good, really, really, really good number two corner. They believe that they have a combination of number two and number three guys with Brandon Eccles, Isaiah Dunn, and Bryce Hall. The hope is that one of those guys with Bryce Hall going into year three and the other two guys going into year two elevates their play to number two level. And now the Jets have DJ Reed, really good number two corner, Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, or Isaiah Dunn, really good number two corner. And then they have the other two guys who have proven that they have experience, have played in this league, they can fill in if somebody goes down. If you have that dominant front and you have those rangy safeties, and then you have those two good but not great corners outside, Salah has recreated his defenses in San Francisco that were some of the best in the NFL. They were some of the most dominant best in the NFL. As a team grows and develops and builds, you can't just have all guys in rookie deals, so you need to start investing resources in places. The Jets' defenses will have their resources invested largely primarily on the defensive line. You don't need to pay safeties that much. Cornerbacks, you do. You need to pay corners top, 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 top dollar. But if the Jets have all of their resources devoted to the defensive line and they're also trying to build up their offense, they're not going to have the financial means to now pay a corner 
18, 19, 20, 25 million dollars a year. They're just not going to have that financial flexibility. So you have to choose. But the scheme that Salah's built, he believes doesn't need to have 20 million dollar cornerbacks outside. They can get by with the number twos who you pay money like you were paying DJ Reed, which is a reasonable contract, a swallowable contract, if that's a word. And that's how they're going to survive. And that's how they're going to move by. And that's how they're going to be functioning and all that stuff. So would Bryce, uh, not Bryce Hall, I'm sorry. Would, would Sauce Gardner make the Jets secondary better? Yeah, he would immediately be one of their second corners. But if he develops as hoped in four years, three years, you're going to have to pay this guy 20 to $25 million a year. The Jets aren't going to do that. They're not going to pay a corner 20 to $25 million a year because they don't believe they need to enforce and in, in, uh, put those resources there. They think they can put them elsewhere and have a much better collective defense. So corner to me is not the issue. The same thing with the linebacker, which is a much simpler explanation, is that the the issues and the perceived issues that so many fans and, and, and others have said, like, oh, my God, the Jets need linebackers because they have issues. Uh, C.J. Mosley had a bad PFF grade and Qu- Quincy Williams had a bad. No, 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 no. The Jets see... The issues from Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosley as a result of poor interior defensive line play. That they did not get very good interior defensive line play. They need to get better interior defensive line play. And if they can fix the interior of their defensive line, boom, they fix the linebacker position as well. If they get new linebackers, they draft linebackers, they sign linebackers, they're going to have the same problems that Williams and Mosley did unless the Jets fix the interior defensive line. So if they fix the interior of their line, you're going to see C.J. Mosley play at a Pro Bowl level and you're going to see Quincy Williams play at a Pro Bowl level because this team does genuinely believe that Quincy Williams is a Pro Bowl type player. Like they do believe they've got that kind of a player with his athleticism and with the coaching that they're able to give these guys and the way they're able to grow and build and stuff like that. So for me, at number 10, there's really only one position that they're going to go with. And in my opinion, it's receiver. And Jamison Williams is a fascinating concept because he is no doubt the most talented receiver in this year's class, but you don't know when he's going to play. If the Jets believe that there is a chance he can contribute and get on the field in a near full-time capacity by late September, at some point in September, late September, early October, I think he's very much in play. Because, yeah, you know, he's going to miss OTAs and minicamp. That's a problem. But Odell Beckham Jr. missed OTAs and or most of OTAs minicamp and a large, large chunk of training camp and the first month of the season, his rookie year, with a hamstring injury. And he came out and just absolutely lit the league on, fly, lit the league on fire as a rookie. So it's not totally out of the realm of possibilities. As long as they know that Jamison Williams can contribute, I think he's possibly in play. More likely, though, it's going to be either Drake London or Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson is a better scheme fit. He's the he's a tailor-made player for Michael LaFleur's offense. London is the bigger-bodied 50-50, gives the Jets something they don't necessarily have already players. So it's going to be pick your poison at that at number 10. Where things get very interesting for the Jets at number 10 And where I get very curious about what could potentially happen at number 10 is if the following situation plays out. You've got Hutchinson goes number one in the draft. You've got Walker goes number two in the draft. You have Thibodeau who goes number three in the draft. And then the Jets draft Iki Anunua at number four. Aquano, Aquano. I said Anunua. I I think Quincy. Like as soon as I said Anunua, I was like, that's not the right That's name. Why right. is Anunwa in my head? And I'm like, <laughs> goddamn Quincy. I was like, I was following him on Instagram the other day, like trying to see what he's up to. He's just thinking about his story. Somebody actually wrote in my mailbag. They were like, what's the player you want to write a story on in the locker room? And as I was writing it about like players I want to talk to in the locker room, 
I was like, actually, there's a player who's not in the locker room that I kind of want to talk to and just catch up with where he is in life. And it was Quincy. So he's kind of been on my mind the last couple of days. Quincy, I'm thinking about you if you happen to be a can't wait podcast <laughs> listener or whatever. But um, Icky, the Jets go Icky at four, right? Because you've got the first three guys off board, off board, off board. They go Icky, right? He's the pick at four. Which, again, we've talked about this. Everyone is like going up in their mind and they're like, oh my God, they're fine at tackle. I have no idea when the hell George Fant became Jonathan Ogden. Like, like, like George Fant had a solid season. Like he had a solid season for the first several years of his career. He battled injuries, was not overly reliable and didn't look all that good. Like, so yeah, the jets are banking on him. They, the jets love him as a player. Like they absolutely love him as a player and a person, but also you have to be prepared that if he regresses or he gets hurt again, Connor McDermott's next up. Chuma Adaga's next up. Makai Becton has peaked, as Rich Samini wrote a, a tremendous story on ESPN last year. He wrote it. Like, he tipped over 400 pounds during rehab last year. I was told he was over 400 pounds at points his rookie year. So you have a guy who has struggled so much with his weight that he tipped the scales at over 400 his first two years. He also has never been healthy. And oh, by the way, when he was healthy technically and on the field in training camp, he was awful. So you're hoping he's better. You're 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 putting a, a a hat in his corner saying like, okay, we want him to be better. He's a nutritionist. He's motivated. But you got to make sure that not only does he keep the weight down, but when he keeps the weight down, he stays on the field. And if he stays on the field, he's still effective. So there are three major question marks with Makai Becton already. There's two major question marks with George Fant. And you to put all of your hats in like, oh, George Fant's definitely going to get better. Makai Becton's going to stay healthy, improve his play, and keep his weight down and be on the field and say, both those guys now my tackles. Okay, if that works, you're set. You're right. Great. Awesome. Golden. Also, George Fant's in the final year of his contract. There's a chance that he regresses to the mean, and there's a chance that he gets hurt. And then Makai, obviously, the same things where he regresses. He's not that good, and he gets hurt, and he's off the field. And then suddenly, Zach Wilson's being protected by George Fant and or not George fan I'm sorry Chuma Adaga and Connor McDermott and we're looking at Sam Darnold 2.0 where the Jets can't keep him upright and he's gonna be dealing with injury after injury after injury and then maybe we got Joe Flacco and Mike White and we're dealing with Mike White sanity for so yeah that'd be hell, hell great for page views the podcast and subscribers but from a Jets perspective you're like WTF man you know what I mean so <laughs> positive Kano has left he's gone. I feel like you just no. convinced me that they're taking a tackle Connor like, yeah. Well, they're going to take a tackle in this year's yeah. draft. I'm, I'm convinced Somewhere, of that. Right. It's just, is it number four? And like right. I said, if KT's off the board, like you're basically saying, if it goes pass rusher, pass rusher, pass rusher, Joe Douglas is, is I mean, he's BPA, but he's BPA at a best player, uh, BPA at a position in need. So if you're sitting in there at four and you're, you're saying, okay, I'm going to take the, the fourth best rusher. And I was talking to Dane last night about Johnson, right? Like Johnson being the option at four. He goes, dude, I think that would be a little bit of a reach. So you're going to reach for a pass rusher at four or – Take a player who is a was a, is a better prospect than Makai Becton was when Makai Becton was was drafted. Considered a player that's going to have a 12-year starting career in the NFL as an offensive tackle or can play offensive guard and is considered by everyone to be the top offensive lineman in the draft and you're getting him at four. Like you're going to take the fourth best pass rusher or the best offensive lineman available and a guy who's considered a stud and a better prospect than Becton at four. Now, when they draft him, what do you do? Does that mean you trade Fant? Does that mean you trade Becton? Like, do you use him as an insurance policy to then replace Fant next year? Or Becton if Becton struggles? I don't know what comes next, but I just find it very hard to see Douglas passing on Icky if it goes pass rusher, pass rusher, pass rusher. Like that, I have a trouble, like trouble seeing. Real quick to go back to the receipt, right? Receiver at 10, the whole point of the conversation. Receiver at 10, right? Receiver at 10, receiver at 10. That's what I think the Jets do at 10. In my opinion, what Dane hit in his mock where it was KT at four and then Garrett Wilson at 10, I would put that's my bet on how this draft plays out. 
However, if it goes pass rusher, pass rusher, pass rusher, and the Jets are sitting there with Icky at number four, and they take Icky at number four, at number 10, things become very, very fascinating because Johnson, the pass rusher from Florida State, he's probably going to be there at 10. Garrett Wilson, probably going to be there at 10, and Jamison William there at 10. Um, Sauce Gardner could be there at 10. That's when all bets are off, where I don't know what the Jets would do. So if KT's gone, at four, I think they go icky. I don't think they go sauce. I don't think they go receiver at four. I don't think they go anything. I think it is it is icky at four if KT's off the board. Then at 10, if you go offensive lineman at four, what do you do? I could see it being Garrett Wilson. I could see it being Johnson. Joe Douglas told us at the, at the, at the owner's meeting, the best way to eliminate all these all-pro quarterbacks that now litter the AFC and the best way to keep those $30 million, $30 million receivers off the field is to hit the quarterback and knock him on his ass. And you do that with pass rushers. So if you then theoretically go offensive lineman four, pass rusher 10, where are you getting your receiver? You know what I mean? And I think that's probably where the Jets were hoping they were going to be able to get Tyreek Hill because they were going to trade their two twos and a three to get Tyreek Hill and get back like a pick at 105 or whatever it was. That theoretically would have opened them up to go icky at four, pass rusher at 10 with Johnson. And then you have your receiver. And, and it's still possible. I, I wouldn't completely rule out a trade for DK Metcalf. I wouldn't completely rule out a trade for AJ Brown. Those teams have no desire to trade them. But if we get another week or two weeks into this one and they realize they can't pay him, that's where they're on the board. So um, in my opinion, like I said, it's going to be KT Wilson. That's where I think it's going to go. Where things get fascinating is if KT is not there at four. And if KT is not there at four, what do the Jets do? And that's when I think it goes icky. And then that becomes uh, the, the wild, wild west of what could happen at 10. One other receiver that there's been talk about lately has been Debo Samuel, a perfect fit for this offense. Obviously, we'll talk about that after this commercial break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Connor, you mentioned DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. There's Debo Samuel, which is another interesting one because it's, you know, the Niners say no intention of trading him. But it seems like if there's a talented receiver that would fit with the Jets, these rumors just come up that they're that they're in on looking and, and kicking the tires and seeing if there's any possibility there. So what are you hearing about the Jets and the just the potential of there even being a chance of trading for Debo Samuel? This is what, like... The Niners are a really good team, right? A very, very, very good football team. The The Seahawks are a good football team. The Titans are a good football team, right? Very few teams are good football teams because they get rid of the players that made them good, right? That 49er offense was, at times, 
dominant or at least incredibly physically imposing with a very mediocre quarterback under center in large part mostly I, I wouldn't say entirely but but largely and mostly because of Debo Samuel when you watch what that guy did and the way that Kyle Shanahan used him the the, the Niners don't make any sort of semblance of the run that they did I don't think they're in the playoffs if Debo Samuel's not on that team I mean that guy was their best football player, the, their best running back, their best receiver, their best weapon. I mean, he was a guy that needed to – you needed to know where he was on every single play. And even though you knew where he was on every single play and defenses were focusing on him on every single play, they still couldn't stop him. Like, they, they, they still could not stop this guy. And that, to me, is just like, why – would you get rid of him? Yeah, Debo Samuel wants to be paid right now. Guess what? The 49ers still have team control over him. I want to be paid significantly more, right? It doesn't mean anything. Like, I can go to my boss right now and say, I want to be paid significantly more. And they're going to tell me, okay, that's great. Your contract's up in June. We'll talk then. Like, that. Like that's what they're going to tell me. I'll go tell Allison it now. I want to be paid more. Guess what? That's great. We're happy. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that. But we're going to talk in June when your contract's up. In NFL, obviously, you've got some more wiggle room because you'll do it the year out and stuff like that. But still, it's no different. Yeah, he's one of the best players in the NFL. Yes, he wants to be paid. But guess what? They don't have to pay him right now. I was told by somebody very familiar with the situation that the whole that the 49ers genuinely do love, each, love Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, their, their infatuation with Jimmy and Kyle Shanahan's infatuation with Jimmy is very real. And, and they, they want and believe that they can win Super Bowls, plural, with him under center. So when I was told this, I was like, well, then why did they draft uh, the kid, out of the uh, Lance, Trey Lance? Why would you draft Trey? If you're telling me this, you want me to believe you, that's fine. But like, why did they draft Trey Lance? And he goes, Connor, he goes, it's because Jimmy is now approaching the point where if they want to keep him, they're going to have to pay him a contract like the Titans paid Ryan Tannehill. And while they like Jimmy and believe they can win with Jimmy, they believe they can win with Jimmy on a reasonable contract. They're not willing to commit the money that it's going to cost to keep Jimmy long term. So by resetting the clock, they like Trey Lance. They fell in love. They believe that Trey Lance can be as good or better than Jimmy. But by getting rid of Jimmy, which they are going to do, because I sent this tweet out yesterday, and everyone's like, "Duh, Jimmy's still on the roster, dingus." I'm like, "Yeah, I understand Jimmy's on the roster. Guess what? He's not going to be week one." So like, it's like, he, like I'm sorry, I didn't know this was groundbreaking foreshadowing that the 49ers, after drafting a quarterback third overall, I love are ready Connor's to move on Twitter from Jimmy hater Garoppolo. voice, by the way. Oh my Twitter God. hater voice. It's great. Seriously, though. But like, I, I was like, he goes, uh, the person who was telling me this, yeah, spoiler was a he, um, goes like, hey, look, like, they like him, but they believe Trey Lance can be as good or better. But by drafting Lance and getting rid of Jimmy, they're resetting the rook. Well, they don't have Jimmy on a rookie contract right now, but they are getting a rookie quarterback on a rookie quarterback's contract. And the excess money that they're going to have by moving on from Jimmy and starting this with Trey Lance, who they believe is going to be as good as Jimmy or maybe a little bit better at minimum, they now have the financial means to pay Kittle as they did, pay Bosa when they have to, and pay Debo. Like, this was told to me, like, months ago. Like, I was like, oh, well, I, and again, like, I never thought in a million years they would move on from Debo because it was like, he's a hell of a football player. So I was like, Okay, so all of a sudden these like Twitter rumors start firing up and I start seeing like somebody named like Jets Future is is quoting player sources and front office people saying like the Jets are going to or the Debo Samuel is going to the Jets. And I'm like, 
that's it. like, again, I was like, and, and but it's everywhere. It's all over Twitter. And my mentions are blowing up. And I didn't address any of the Debo stuff. Like every time we've talked about trading for a receiver, it was Metcalf and it was AJ Brown. Like those were the two that we talked about. It was Metcalf and AJ Brown. We always talked about those guys. And all of a sudden Debo is being looped. And I was like, oh, he's just another receiver who wants to get paid. Obviously everyone knows that's not real. But all of a sudden it like really started picking up steam. So I was like, all right, this is like, this is, I'm going to, now I'm going to do some homework. Like maybe I'm wrong. Right. Like maybe my brain is like seeing this saying, how the hell is this factually correct? There can't be any there can't be any smoke to this fire. But maybe I'm wrong. Like, like maybe there actually is. So I reached out to somebody and I basically was told the the first first thing I got back was this is why Twitter needs to be deleted. Like this is I was like, this is why Twitter needs to be deleted. And I was like, I don't get it. I was like, what's I was like, why would they get rid of him? The guy is the most dominant force. And the exact thing was told me was that dude is not going anywhere. He is going, quote, he is going nowhere. Like that's what's good. It's we can squash the Debo rumors. We can end the Debo rumors. If you want to hope, you got to hope that the the Seahawks and and Met, if Metcalf goes and asks for a trade or Brown asks for a trade or something like that. But right now, it seems very much like the Seahawks, who are not ready to completely rebuild, want to keep on to one of the top ten receivers in the NFL, and the Titans, who are contenders every single year, want to keep on want to keep hold of a, another top ten to twelve receiver in the NFL. Because again, these are good teams that realize they are good teams because of these good players. And as long as they still have some team control, they're not going to want to get rid of them, which is what made the Tyreek Hill thing so crazy. But Tyreek Hill was also, I think, kind of a, another situation there with the Chiefs and the Chiefs realizing now they're getting to like the real meaty and juicy part of that Mahomes contract and having to move on from him, like having no ability to pay. The Titans have the ability to pay A.J. Brown. They don't have to pay him right now. The Seahawks have the means to pay Metcalf. They don't have to pay him right now, but they will, and they want to, and they are they are committed to doing it unless some team goes out there and is like, I'll give you three first-round picks for these guys, and that's just not going to happen from the Jets because, as we learned from Joe Douglas, he wants to be aggressive, but he's not going to be reckless, and, and the trade package that it would cost to get one of these guys would be reckless. It would be reckless for them to get them away. So Metcalf, as of right now, doesn't look like it's happening. Brown doesn't look like it's happening because the Titans and, and Seahawks are both saying they want to keep him. And I was told pretty straight on that there is zero chance in hell that Debo Samuel gets moved, which again makes sense because he is the 49ers offense. The 49ers are not a, I don't think the 49ers win nine games next year if they don't have Debo Samuel. Like he's that important to that offense. That defense is good. They'll keep him in games, but Debo is that important. Debo is the X factor. He's a homegrown talent. He's a home found player. Solid talks about it all the time where we talked about him at the senior bowl where he said, now, the, the, he remembers very vividly finding Debo Samuel at the Senior Bowl and falling in love with him and then realizing then this kid's a star. And guess what? He is a star, and the 49ers aren't going to let him go. All right, one more note for receivers before we move on to the rest of the draft after the, after the first round, and that is if they do draft a receiver at number 10 or somehow make one of these trades and you have that one more big-time starting receiver, does that mean we have reached the end of the Denzel Mims era? Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, I think the at this point, it was funny. I got a mailbag question on Denzel, which I, I did not. I did not expect the uh, the mailbag Denzel question to come in. I thought we've kind of moved on from that. It's just it's it's done. I mean, it's 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 very I feel bad for him because he was a scheme fit for Gase, like because Gase wanted the guys who were linear 50 50 guys stretch the field with your speed go deep and go get it like that's the play that's when his offense was its best in Denver and, and at points in Chicago that's what he was trying to recreate and Denzel fit that and that's why you saw Denzel have some success his, his rookie year 
Lafleur is very different. Lafleur wants the pristine, precise route runners. He wants the yak guys. He wants the if this route is supposed to be run at seven and a quarter yards, it is run at seven and a quarter yards, not seven, not seven and a half, not eight, not six and a half. We saw a um, one of Zach Wilson's interceptions that he threw against the Patriots. You saw Elijah Moore run an out route. Zach threw the pass correctly. Zach threw the ball where it was supposed to be. Elijah Moore ran the route a yard short. Ball went over his head into a, into a defender's hands and was picked off. If Elijah runs that route correctly, it's a first down. Like So that is how precise and precision and surgical this playbook needs to be run from the receiver. They, they need route technicians, and that's not Denzel Mims. Now, does that mean Denzel Mims should have been as ineffective as he was this past year? I mean, there were literally games where he went without a target or a catch. Like, like games without a target or catch. That's just, like, that shouldn't have happened. The drops, the the penalties where he's lining up offsides or a false start, then he gets benched. I mean, that's just the, the cavalier, careless, lackadaisical effort that he took throughout practices and stuff. Like, you would see him. Like, I, I, I tweeted the video out. You got, like, Braxton Berrios going everything 100 miles an hour, and then you have... Denzel Mims looking like, you know, he's already thinking about the hot tub. You know, it's just like he's just he's already checked out and stuff. So he didn't help himself. He didn't he certainly didn't endear himself to the coaching staff with with, with his cavalier attitude and and kind of just, you know, nonchalant efforts and, and cavalier attitude and questionable efforts and practice and things like that. And then obviously he's completely mentally checked out performance in games. So at this point, I think it's one of those things where it's just better if both sides go another way, like trade Denzel. And get whatever you're going to get for him. It's going to be, well, with Joe Douglas, you never know. But it's probably going to be a very late round pick. Or trade him to another team where you have a struggling player or a a former first or second round pick who's just kind of fallen out of favor and it's just not working. You believe a change of scenery can help Denzel and a change of scenery can help X player. You know what I mean? And just do a player swap and and see if you can't flip it up. I mean, we've seen that happen before. So I I think that's probably the... uh, the best situation uh, right now or, or for both these sides is just move on. I mean, it's 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 going to happen. I mean, it's it's definitely going to happen, because especially once the Jets trade somebody, or, or I think they're going to draft two receivers in this year's draft. Uh, if, well, if they trade for one, they'd probably only draft one, but I think they're going to come away with two new receivers before week one. Uh, and once that happens, it's just, it's it's time to uh, time to move on from, from the Denzel experiment. We'll definitely do a breaking news podcast when uh, the Jets and, and Denzel Mims finally part ways. What was your favorite um, of Denzel's 20 catches? Yeah. What was your uh, favorite almost touchdown? Here's uh, so Dane Brugler. He's we, never scored a touchdown real quick. It is wild. It, that, that is in wild. his career. Like he's played two seasons on a team that like this isn't like he's on like the Chiefs, a team that's like loaded with receivers or any one of these other offenses that's just like the like the Chargers. Like if he was like, you know, drafted by the Chargers, but you know, he's sitting behind, you know, three different guys. Like he's even then it would be crazy because he's a second round pick. But this is a guy who is a second round pick, drafted by a team in such desperate, dire need of receivers. Like they so needed receivers last year. And because of the injuries to Moore and um Corey Davis and actually pretty much every other receiver, they desperately needed receivers this year. And they were going after them and going after receivers and going after receivers and going, they need receivers, need receivers. And the guy still can't catch a touchdown. Like, he doesn't have a single touchdown. That is why. The only thing I can sort of remember this being was like when Hakeem Nicks with the Giants a couple years after their second Super Bowl was targeted like 108 times and he caught like 80 passes for almost 1,000 yards and didn't have a single touchdown. It was like the most absurd thing. I think the Giants moved on from him after the year. He went to the Colts and ended up catching one. But like that was wild. 
This is now like, I mean, he doesn't have the 100 targets, but like two years worth of that, where you're a second-round pick who hasn't even scored. At least Stephen Hill scored touchdowns. This guy hasn't even scored touchdowns, man. It's it's crazy. It really is. All right, so we've talked about Dane Brugler. Obviously, the beast is out right now. You can get that with your subscription to The Athletic. Um, but just to go through basically the rest of what he thinks based on – you know, he picked the entire draft. So, you know, it's impossible. Yeah, so but these are the players. I want to rip them apart. That's why I did this. Yeah, here I, you I, go. Hey, congratulations on spending like probably a week putting this together. Now I'm going to <laughs> criticize you. <laughs> we have, um, and he, you know, it's an amazing, it's a great article because he actually comments on a good number of these guys, even after the first round. Obviously, yeah. he goes through all the first rounders. Uh, but here's what he has for the Jets. And we know the needs, right? Um Offensive line, cornerback, you know, safety, if you can get it, all these things. This is what he has. Uh, number 34, Andrew Booth, cornerback, Clemson. And we said he was he says Kayvon and then Wilson with one and two. So yeah. Booth, the cornerback of Clemson at 34. 38, Tyler Smith, offensive tackle out of Tulsa. Uh, number 69, Chad Muma, linebacker out of Wyoming. 111, Kirby Joseph, safety out of South Carolina. 117, Jake Ferguson, tight end out of Wisconsin. Uh, 146, Lasita Smith, offensive tackle slash center, Virginia Tech. And then 163, Tyler Beatty, running back out of Missouri. I feel like it's always nice to just grab a running back late in the draft. Mm -hmm. uh, the one position that we know the Jets would love to get more of, um, even if they do get Kayvon Thibodeau, is, is interior defensive line, right? And that's not here. But otherwise, this seems to fit with the Jets' needs. So, so if you are grading the draft, Connor, and uh, Dane Brugler is in charge of yeah. the Jets, and this is what he walks away with. What's the grade? Yeah, so I went with I, – I, I don't have the story up because I, I just filed it, and Allison's in it, so I can't bring it up. But uh, I went with an A for Kayvon Thibodeau because I thought it was perfect. Allison, I by went, the way, is Connor's editor. For yeah, she might editor. yeah, Allison's my editor. <laughs> um, Garrett Wilson is uh, – I gave Garrett Wilson a C, and I actually texted Dane about this because I said – I was like, dude, I was like, for the record, I 100% pick Garrett Wilson in this scenario as well. Like, I 100% take him. The only reason why I gave a Garrett Wilson mock draft, and I, I do this if the Jets actually draft him in real life too, is C, is because the Jets have made it abundantly clear this offseason that they want to trade for a receiver, right? Because they were in on Amari Cooper. You can per source all of this because I, 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 this isn't me just speaking out of my ass. Like I know this from a fact from talking to people over there. They were in on Amari Cooper, but the Cowboys weren't able to make uh, – they weren't willing to make any trade contingent on a reworked contract, so the Jets bowed out of that. They were heavily in on Calvin Ridley, but the Falcons gave them the impression that he's not available for, the, for a trade. The reason why they gave that opinion was because they knew that a suspension was coming and they didn't want to deal him in bad faith, basically trade Calvin Ridley to have him get docked, you know, suspended for an entire year. Like, almost like that dude who bought the Tom Brady ball, and then, like, the next the next day he unretires. Um and then obviously they were in on Tyree Kill, but weren't able to get it done. And then they've they've called and tried to make offers for uh oh oh that's for okay yeah that's his draft. Um, they called and they tried to make offers for AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, but obviously neither of those teams, both the Titans and the um the Titans and the uh, the Seahawks are willing to make a, a trade contingent on or blah, blah, blah. they're not taking offers right now. Sorry, you guys threw that graphic up and it totally threw me for a loop. <laughs> I was like looking at you guys. Also, I'm like, wow, this is all right. Yeah. The beauty of, uh, of of StreamYard or whatever we're using right now. Um, I just didn't expect that. You caught me off guard. So, yeah, so they were in on those three guys. They wanted to go Brown, Metcalf, Brown, Metcalf. Aren't the, those teams aren't taking specific deals. So they have made it very, very clear that their top priority, their preference is to trade, not draft a receiver. 
And the reasoning for that is Robert Sala and Joe Douglas both believe that it generally takes two to three years for a receiver to reach his full potential. He can contribute in year one. He's going to be better in year two. But by year three, that's when you really get like the full force, the player reaching his potential. The Jets don't want a player to grow with Zach Wilson. They or don't not that they don't want. They they would prefer that as opposed to getting a player who will grow with Zach Wilson in the next three years, they prefer to get a player who will help Zach Wilson right now. That you go and you get a player like Hill, like Cooper, like Ridley, like Metcalf, like Brown. If you put any of those guys, they are already established, built, developed players that you put them in this offense, and just like that, you have a player and a team, or you have a player that is helping Zach Wilson right now. Not growing, not helping Zach Wilson in two years, not helping him in three years. He is helping him right now as a bona fide, no doubt, elite level number one receiver, right? Like that's what they prefer. By the Jets drafting Garrett Wilson, it's also probably a little bit of a sign that the Jets realize that the wide receivers in this year's class aren't, you know, great. Like it's not they're bad, but they're definitely not Jamar Chase. They're not Beckham. They're not Justin Jefferson. Like they're not that level players. Like I said, I, I had I had one source tell me actually not long. I've talked to several people about this, but one source told me he has a higher grade on Elijah Moore than any, or he had a higher grade on Elijah Moore last year than any receiver in this year's class. So that kind of puts you in perspective that the guy the drafts drift in the second round. By the again, everyone has a different opinion, but at a higher grade than any receiver in this year's draft. So that kind of tells you a little bit. So by them going Garrett Wilson, which they have to do, which they would do as as Dane's mock outlines, it means that they failed to trade for a receiver. So they had to go to their contingency plan. So that's why I went with a C there, just because it means that the Jets weren't able to do what they actually set out this offseason to do. They wanted to get a proven number one receiver for Zach Wilson. By no fault of their own, they weren't able to do it, but still, they weren't able to do it. And this is a results business. They needed to get it done. They didn't get it done, and because they didn't, they had to go the Garrett Wilson route. So that's why I went with a C there. Again, I would take Garrett Wilson in this position. I don't fault Dane for picking Garrett Wilson in this position, but it means that the Jets failed to draft a receiver. Andrew Booth, I think I went with either. A, I think I went with a C grade for Andrew Booth as well, for no other reason than just I believe interior defensive line is a better play here. And there were three or four guys uh, that, that I saw that I thought an interior defensive lineman would help them more than Andrew Booth. Now, if they drafted Andrew Booth, he's likely sliding in right next to Reed as a day one starter. And then the Jets are probably looking to trade either Eccles or looking to trade Bryce Hall and get some kind of draft pick, late round draft pick back in compensation. But Booth likely slides in there next to DJ Reed. You have a, a much better one-two corner position than you do now. But interior defensive line, in my opinion, was a better pick. Um, Tyler Smith, as you said, I gave an A because if the Jets don't go with Icky in, at number four, they do still need to get both insurance for this year and their future at offensive tackle, assuming uh, George Fant leaves in free agency, which I think Tyler Smith gives them that. Chad Muma, the linebacker from Wyoming, I gave that a B grade because I was like, you know what? Linebacker is not the concern or not the problem that many people believe, but next year is the out in C.J. Mosley's contract. That's when the Jets can move on from C.J. Mosley and get on past him and not not uh, not pay him the absurd contract that he's getting anymore. They can either rework it or move on from him. If they choose to move on from him, they need a new starter on the inside, and I think Chad would work really well next to Quincy Williams. Kirby Joseph, the safety out of Illinois, I gave that an A as well just because I think he's a guy that would push – um, LaMarcus Joyner for playing time in year one. I think he's a perfect, perfect fit for this defense, and he would give the Jets those two really good safety pairings starting at probably 2023 and beyond, but a little bit here in this year with uh, Whitehead and Joseph. Jake Ferguson, I believe I gave a B. Uh, Smith, I gave a B as well. And then Tyler Batty, the, the running back in Missouri, I gave a B as well uh, to round that one out. So overall, I thought it was really mock. I thought it was a great mock draft. Like, I really do. I think this would be a good one that the Jets came out with. 
My only real qualm with the selection was just Andrew Booth, because I think the Jets should go interior defensive line instead. And then I don't have an issue with the Garrett Wilson pick. It's just that that means that the Jets failed to acquire a receiver and failed to trade for a receiver, which they uh, they preferred to do, obviously. And one thing with with the mock that Dane does is he doesn't he doesn't take the next step of, of doing trades. I don't think right. He just does straight picks all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, not, yeah, I'm just saying like like the way that I approach this, um, the way that I approach this was I graded Dane like he I would Joe Douglas. So if this was the draft that the Jets came out with, and I have to do like you know we get those th- the the rulings from above and i'll tell you it's funny because like they used to click like hell and at nj.com and and now they sell like hell here at the athletic you know it's it's always the same stuff. everyone loves a grade or a ranking yep exactly man so like this one i like i, I tell dan i was like i i i think I, I have fun with this every year and i think dane does too because obviously you know he know i i talk i'd like dan a lot so i know he does not there's nothing freaking personal with it there we go oh my god it's so much better there we go so yeah so my <laughs> grades were a c C A B A B B B were my grades for him. So I, I basically just graded um graded him much, much, much like I would have graded Joe Douglas if this was the draft that Joe Douglas came away with. All right, one more thing I wanted to get to, and it was touched on in your mailbag as well, Connor, but I thought it was a good question. Um, now that Woody is back, um, when you look at at this team in 2022, what they've done so far in the offseason, what they're going to do in the draft, and heading into 2022 in a season, what needs to happen on the field? What does this team need to yeah. do next season in order to convince Woody Johnson that they're on the right track and we don't start heading back to to square one and blow it all up and here we go? Or or Woody says, well, this isn't working. We're going to go spend a ridiculous amount of money on a player we don't need. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, the Jets won two more games in 2021 than they did in 2020. And they did that by playing one extra game. You know what I mean? So they went <laughs> four and 12 or two and two and 14, right? And they, then they were four and 13. So they lost just one fewer game or one less game. But they were one they and oh in the four. extra game. Look at it that way. There you go. I like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, hanging. Hey, positive Timo. Here we got, we got positive Timo. There you go. Um, that's not improvement. Don't pitch it as an improvement. I've had people in the building pitch me pitch that to me as improvement. That's not improvement. That's that's bad. Four and thirteen is bad. You're picking top five in the draft again. It's not as bad as two and fourteen, but it's pretty damn bad. Christopher Johnson, when he was this team's owner, was so patient and is so patient. And he's well like like I said, like his his biggest his biggest issue and and fans and it's it's just he trusted the wrong people early on. Like he he stuck with Mike McCagnet a little too long and he probably trusted Adam Gase a little too much early on. Like like those were those were his two biggest issues. Like not caring, not meddling, not putting his his foot and his finger down on, on in places where he wouldn't. He hired people and he trusted them too much to turn the Jets around. And unfortunately that trust in the wrong people put the Jets in a really bad position. I think he hired the right guy in Joe Douglas. I think he then hired the right guy in Robert Sala. And I think it took a lot of balls and Kiones for him to come out and let Joe Douglas be the boss and Robert Sala report to Joe Douglas and Joe Douglas report to ownership. Because that structure of owner and coach, both neither is ahead of the other, and they both report to owner, had been in place for a very, very long time. And I thought it took a lot for him to change that up. And I, I really genuinely believe that, like, Again, the only issue that Christopher Johnson had was he trusted the wrong people for a little too long. That was his problem. 
Patience, good thing. Not meddling, great thing. He just trusted the wrong people. Woody and Christopher are very, very different people. Woody does meddle at times. Like, we've seen it in the past where he stepped in with Tebow. He stepped in when they brought Revis back. He stepped in in multiple, multiple, Brett Favre. He stepped in with Brett Favre when Mangini was building a team that was headed in the right direction. He stepped in with Brett Favre and then kind of backstabbed Mangini on the way out. Like, it was, it was, he had, he's the one who chases the headlines. He's the one who gets annoyed that the other team's getting the headlines and he wants a splash. He wants the splash. He wants the shiny toy. He wants the excitement. He wants the headlines. That's the way that he has always, always, always been. He's never been patient. He's never been willing to just wait. He might wait for a little bit, but the moment it's not working and the moment he doesn't see that instant gratification or a sign that instant gratification is coming, he pulls the trigger and he wants the splash and he steps in and says, I want this. I want this. Make this happen. Do this. And he's the boss, so the general manager and stuff has to do it. I think that might probably be why you've seen the Jets be more involved in the trade market than they have been in years past, where they were trying to go after Danielle Hunter. They were trying to sign Chandler Jones. They were trying to go out there and get Hill. They were trying to get Cooper and Ridley and all these guys. I think a large part of that is because Woody's back and, and they want to appease the owner and they want to make him happy and they want to keep his thirst for excitement satisfied, right? They haven't been able to do it. Woody said all the right things at the owner's meetings. But at the end of the day, if the Jets go into this season and they play this season and they finish this season with four wins again, with five wins again, and Zach Wilson looks bad and this rookie class resembles 2020, not 2021, or worse, the 2021 draft class takes a step back and looks more like 2020 than even 2020 does, heads are going to roll. Because Woody did not pick Joe Douglas. Woody did not pick Robert Sala. Woody didn't really pick Zach Wilson. Woody isn't totally tied to this. This is still the remnants of Christopher Johnson's run as this team's sole owner, operator, CEO. And last year, seeing empty MetLife Stadium, seeing the punchline that the Jets became being mocked on SNL and Ted Lasso and other shows and things like that, and and the DMs that he gets all the time about sell the team, this is awful, all that stuff. That's where, in my opinion, he's going to step in and say like, okay, this ain't working, let's go. So if the Jets want to keep Salah in place and keep Douglas in place and keep Wilson in place, They need to keep Woody Johnson appeased. And the way that they're going to do it is they have to win, in my opinion, at a minimum seven or eight games. They have have to win seven or eight games next year. And in the games that they lose, they cannot be blowout embarrassments like the loss to the Patriots early in the season or the garbage time got it closer, but the Colts on Thursday night football – They need to lose these games, the games that they lose. Basically, every single one of them needs to be a one-possession game when the fourth quarter begins. That we need to be playing the game in the fourth quarter of, okay, the Jets get a stop here, field goal, okay, they're back in it. Or the Jets get a stop here, touchdown, they get the game. Like some, We need to be playing those in the games that the Jets lose. They need to win seven or eight, and they need to be in the other nine. They need to be in the other nine to ten. Like, that's just a fact. And, And if they're not, and this team just wins five games, and they win one more game the next year, Well, if they're winning five games, it probably means that Zach Wilson did not take a step forward. And it means that this offense didn't look good. And it means the players Joe Douglas signed and drafted didn't pan out or have not or aren't looking like they're panning out. And the injuries are back and all these things. But for me, improvement is no longer baby steps. Improvement is take a damn jump, take a damn leap. And you're going to take a jump or a leap by winning seven or eight games. And if the Jets don't do that, like there's no playoffs, I don't think. But if the Jets, if the Jets get to seven or eight wins, that's when you'll see legitimate improvement because then next year, 
next year is when we're going to be talking about playoffs. Like this team should absolutely make a playoff run if that happens. And again, like I think the easiest way to say it, Tim, is that when December happens and every single network, Fox, NBC, CBS, ESPN, Amazon now, I think is, is doing football games. Am I right? Or is it Apple? Whoever won those broadcasting rights, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, when December begins and all these people play those little playoff hunt graphics, the Jets need to be, I don't care if it's at the top or it's at the bottom, but the Jets need to be over in the, in the hunt column. We need to, we need to have like be getting some, some not interviewing Dane about mock drafts in December. We're going to be bringing on mathematicians to show us how these numbers work out to get the Jets into the playoffs. That's what we need to be doing in December. No more Dane. We're bringing on mathematicians. If that's happening, then that's progress for the Jets. And I think that's what that's what Woody Johnson needs to see uh, next year. How about that's a different way of looking at it. If Dane Brugler is on this podcast before January, the Jets are screwed. <laughs> well, if, if, Dane, if Dane is on this podcast before January, we're probably talking to him about quarterbacks. We're being honest with ourselves. We're going Sad, to be having yeah, a quarterback yeah. conversation because the Jets are going to be picking top five. Zach's going to be struggling. We're going to be talking about them blowing this all up with a new GM, new head coach, new quarterback. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Ugh, that's nothing like... I'm, I'm, Nothing like ending the podcast on a positive. But with that, we are going to step away. The draft is coming, though. Less than two weeks away, we will be bringing you plenty of content that week. I think after each round um, and then a full recap after the draft is over the next week. So good stuff coming up here on the Can't Wait podcast, whether you're checking it out on YouTube streaming or on Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to, if you haven't yet and still want to get on The Athletic, get Dane Brugler's The Beast, all the great football content. I mentioned the golf content, all of it. One of the best deals we ever run continues to run. It's $1 per month for six months. So six bucks, you get six months of The Athletic. You can't beat it. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. We'll talk to everybody again soon. We can't wait. <laughs>